Dean Shoemate the Third here, and welcome back to another episode of Strange Places. This podcast is brought to you by who? Anchor <laughs> and DistroKid. Now, uh, before we get into it, if you've seen the title, I need to explain this right away. I know I said that I was going to talk about the um, alien out of fuel thing sending pictures of the solar system through Reddit. I uh, yeah, I, I'm still doing my homework on that one. That one, uh, that one is a rabbit hole, and just give me a little bit longer. We will do that one. I said I would do it next, but dude, <laughs> I, I've I've got a lot of homework to do on that one, and I want to know my stuff. So, give me some time to research that one. I feel like I'm doing a freaking school project, but uh, yeah, I just I need some time on that one. I really got to put the time in to research that one because. Um, like with some things, I, I'm having a lot of trouble debunking that thing, and uh, I'm not setting out to debunk it. It's just that I want to see that end of it, too. I don't only want to read the you know information from people that think that these things that we talk about are real. I want to see the other side of it, too. And the other side of the one I said I was going to do next is a little bit tricky, a little bit hard to find, and then there's a lot to sift through. So, uh, you know, that's been kind of difficult. So today, I want you to strap on your pirate gear. <laughs> no, not really. I want you to uh, put on your sea legs, okay? Because today, we're going to go back in time to 1924. We're going to climb aboard an oil tanker called the SS Watertown. that sailed from California toward the Panama Canal en route to New Orleans and New York, okay? 1924. Although the crew didn't know it, the tanker's name would end up being linked to one of the most curious and spooky seafaring legends since the Mary Celeste. This is one I think is actually creepier. But we'll find out why, huh? The voyage was all going as expected until two of the crew, Mr. James Courtney and Michael Meehan, were ordered to go and clean out a cargo tank down in the ship's hold. Now, I watched a couple of documentaries on the SS Watertown. Since making this last episode, I've read enough articles uh, for my brain to turn into mush and my eyes start bleeding. But, you know, like I said, I gotta do my homework, man. So this was a job, apparently, that was only reserved for people who had gotten in trouble <laughs> or people who had drawn the short straw. The uh, cargo tank, it, this was not a pleasant job. And uh, this is partially why. Somehow, fumes overcame both men, gaseous fumes, and they died before help could reach them. Their deaths were ruled accidental. And it's uh, pretty obvious that one of them, I think it was James Courtney, that died first because when the bodies were found, he was grabbing on to Michael Meehan's wrist as if he died in the process of dragging him out of the cargo hold. It was not very well ventilated. It was a nasty job. It was a dirty job. They had hauled, I mean, this is an oil tanker. You know what I mean? So what's the cargo tank of an oil tanker, right? It gets filled with oil. These are not pleasant fumes. It was not very well ventilated. This is 1924. They didn't have the latest and greatest of, uh, you know, protective gear. So the fumes overcame both men. They sadly died before anybody could help them. On the 4th of December, 1924, the Watertown's Captain Keith Tracy ordered the two dead men to be buried at sea. 
their bodies being consigned to the deep after the uh, appropriate service was held for the two. That wasn't the last the crew would see the pair, however. The very next day, the entire ship was in an uproar. The first mate reported seeing Courtney's and Meehan's faces in the water off the port side of the ship. Reportedly, the two apparitions could be seen for about 10 seconds, wordlessly bobbing about in the Pacific's choppy waters before dissipating into nothingness. Now, I want to make very clear here that not a lot of articles said this, but a few of the documentaries did. And my own research into this, when they you know bury a body at sea, they make damn sure that these bodies are weighted. I mean, these are seafaring folk, you know what I mean? They're used to this kind of procedure, and you guys can think just common sense wise you guys know that it's going to take quite you know that that uh, anybody buried at sea is not going to be it's not going to gently float down to the bottom of the ocean even if it's weighted there are parts that are going to come back up there's creatures at the bottom of the sea you know they it's like the shoes they keep washing up uh, you know with feet in them on certain shores around our world it's because these soft tissues, the thinner soft tissues, the wrists, the ankles, these are things that are usually uh, taken off <laughs> by various means, either naturally or by the creatures that live in the deep, and they flow to the surface. But this wasn't nearly enough time for that to happen. So anything floating up to the surface, you know, especially with these men who have seen this kind of stuff before, I mean, they know that this is not possible the two um see this is what's weird that wasn't uh okay let's uh back up here the two apparitions could be seen for about 10 seconds as i said just bobbing around the freaking pacific choppy water they can see it before dissipating into nothing Similar reports from other crew members continued over the following days. They were said to be consistent and corroborated. It seems as though Courtney and Meehan couldn't leave the water town even if they wanted to. When the ship arrived in New Orleans, the company that owned it, City Service, listened to the captain's curious tale and suggested that he try to photograph the faces. When the water town left to continue its journey, the faces of Courtney and Meehan reappeared as they had done previously. Tracy, or another crew member, we don't know for sure, managed to take six photos of the spooky visions. The camera and film were locked away in the ship's safe. Nobody touched them. Tracy handled the unprocessed, handed the uh, unprocessed film over to the company's New York office, who had it developed. Nothing untoward showed up on five of the six exposures. The film was still wet when they examined it. They wasted no time, no evidence of tampering, you know, no possibility of anybody getting to that film and screwing with it. And I, I, I say that, and I emphasize that. That's a very important thing to, to know. The, can, the, the film was still wet, post-developed, when they examined it. They wanted no time to pass, no chance whatsoever of anybody saying, oh, somebody got to the film. They, nothing showed up. On five of the six exposures. The sixth one, however, would become one of the most reprinted photos in the world. And I'd like to add here one of the iconic images that scared the living shit out of me as a kid. For it seemed to have captured the eerie sunken features of two men in the water. Remarkably clear. 
and recognized by many who knew the men in life, Courtney and Meehan. And I looked at the photos of these men and the famous SS Watertown photo. It's them. Normally, most articles on the story of the haunting of the SS Watertown stop here. But there's actually a completely other layer to this thing. While the ship's haunting story and photograph was first published in the city service company magazine, Service, believe it or not, most, well, I say much, of the original details were brought to a wider audience by the investigation of the paranormal enthusiast uh, Heward Carrington. By the time Carrington did his research on the case in 1934, the already kind of sketchy story was getting on to being a decade old. Then in 1963, writer and researcher Michael G. Mann decided to dig a little bit deeper in an article for Fate magazine. It's thanks to him and his visit to Citigo's, as the company was now named, headquarters that we have the infamous photo in print today. He also found out the latitude and longitude of the place where the photo was taken during the voyage, although this detail kind of escapes me a little bit. According to Mann, the photograph was checked for fraud by Burns Detective Agency as well as uh, people who studied photographs back then. Apparently, this has been a thing for a long time. <laughs> people who uh, forensically study photographs, which I can imagine that would have to exist, you know, as uh, photography became something outs just you know outside of uh, scientific experimentation. It was given a clean bill of health, by the way. Everybody who studied this photo, and this is clearly documented, shows zero signs of tampering. The photo has been made, it's been a mainstay of paranormal books and websites. Sadly, though, as I found to be very common in this, almost all the writers regurgitate earlier works on the subject. We see nothing new. Hardly any engage in independent research of any kind. I, my friends, am not one of these. In the case of the SS Watertown, it uh, seems like, aside from me, one man has. His name is Blake Smith. While no picture of the actual SS Watertown seems to exist, recent writer Blake Smith's excellent research, I gotta tell you, brought out some details on one of her sister ships, actually. The SS Bald Hill. Bald Hill? That's what you call it? Okay. He began to investigate how genuine the photo might be. He says, and I quote... I now knew the measurements of the water town well enough to figure out how many, how far away the faces in the water were from the ship. If I could pin down where the photo was taken, the problem was that there was nowhere on the catwalk, lower or upper decks, that had the correct number of vertical station struts or whatever the dark lines were in the man photo. In an experiment, Smith used the dimensions of the bald hill to recreate the Watertown photograph with a couple of friends. Apparently, the faces in the snap can be seen between the second and third stations on the catwalk. What these are, uh, these are kind of tuba-like structures on the ship, and the faces are kind of in between those. The men's bodies had been lowered overboard right there during the burial at sea. He says further, and I quote, The results were stunning. Even at seven and a half meters, the Watertown ghosts weren't just bigger than my friends' heads. They were as big as my friends. This was a strange conclusion, but it matched a hypothesis. Even though Carrington remarked that the heads were somewhat larger than in life, my results implied that the sheer size of the ghostly heads would have been far more notable than their resemblance to a pair of dead shipmates. So, not everything is as cut and dry here. 
if Blake Smith's experiment and research are to be believed and the authenticity of what we see in the photograph is in doubt. I don't know how that casts doubt, but uh, let's keep going. <laughs> he just proved that the faces were huge. I don't see how that debunks the photo. What could be the possible explanation for this? Of course, photograph manipulation software didn't exist back then, but that didn't stop creative minds from manufacturing spirit photography, right? Using techniques like double exposure, something which had been a moneymaker during the Victorian era thanks to ignorance surrounding the new technology of cameras, general public's fascination with death, so a fraud cannot be entirely ruled out. I call bullshit on that because... The photograph was examined by multiple agencies. No evidence of tampering. That includes double exposures. They look for that. What city service might have gained from such fakery is in serious doubt. That's another reason why I'm saying that. Considering that they seem to keep the story relatively unpublished. Captain Tracy might have concocted the story for a number of reasons ranging from malice to boredom. But as I've stated earlier, sailors are a superstitious and wary bunch. Would the crew all have gone along with such a macabre hoax? Even at the captain's behest, I'm not sure they would. Especially when Courtney and Mian might have been their buddies, their pals, their shipmates, right? Man could certainly have, if not faked the photograph entirely, tampered with it, which is bunk. <laughs> we gotta take that off the table. Adding the second face to make the story link in better. The arrows to cover up the signs of tinkering. But uh, the photograph was analyzed without said arrows. That's another thing that bugs me. <clears throat> it seems like these, uh, th that people, like I said, and I say in this podcast all the time, people want so much for it to be the thing that they just, uh, they analyze stuff improperly. To match their own conclusions. But you know what, kids? That works the other way, too. If you're setting out to debunk something, and if that's what your brain is locked on, you will debunk it. Or at least you think you will. This is just... <laughs> These things cannot be handled this way. You need to look at the evidence as it is. You need to look at what it is, okay? No preconceived nothing, no prejudices, nothing. And then look what happens on this show. We end up debunking more than we prove, but the stuff that we've proven, oh my God. Is this one of them? Let's keep going. <clears throat> now, the single original face might have been simple pareidolia, a freak formation of the ever-moving Pacific waters that was captured on camera purely by chance and misidentified as human face by the captain or crew. Sadly, the photograph's negative seems to have been lost forever, so we don't know. One face or two, another explanation could have been sunlight reflecting on the ship, uh, off of the ship's side during the you know, uh, recurrent weather conditions, projecting light onto the water now and then. This is to be spotted and misinterpreted as having supernatural properties. These men are sailors. Give me a break. These guys have seen everything at sea. This, this story is crazily well-documented. This is one of the most well-documented, quote-unquote, ghost sightings ever. And these are, you know, like, I saw an interview one time with Neil deGrasse Tyson, and he says, I have a real problem with, uh, you know, when police report UFOs, and people automatically go, ooh, man, a police officer reported a UFO, man, that's big. These guys are trained to observe. 
And Neil says, well, if you're not knowing what you're looking at scientifically, you know, they're just like everybody else. They're just reporting what they see. And if it's something weird, they don't know. What does them being a police officer have to do with it? I think a lot, Neil, (laughs) a lot. Their job is to observe. Their job is to report things in a manner that nobody else would think to report them, right? Their job is to investigate. They're going to look at things they're going to rep- I'm not going to say they're going to look at things differently. They're going to report things differently than Joe, John, Billy Jack, Cletus down the road. One face or two, like I said. <laughs> Could have been sunlight. I sincerely doubt that. The SS Watertown had its name changed, and the crew was moved to other ships, possibly in an attempt to wipe the slate clean. That's another thing. The SS Watertown had a complete name change. Its crew was cycled completely. The crew was moved around to other ships. And now that's what history says. According to the crew themselves, they said the company did this so the sightings would stop, that they would split up the crew, that somehow the sightings of these two men were protecting the crew, the men that they knew. Why? Because... Another thing that's documented that you're not going to see in a lot of these articles and documentaries, one thing that I found in my own damn research, was that these faces would mostly appear right before major weather events hit, and then they would kind of move off to a certain way. The captain being the captain, he'd say, hey, let's follow these things, and it would lead them away from these dangerous squalls, dangerous really high waves and shit. It seemed that these faces were keeping the other crew safe. Weird. Now, we talked about the Orang Medan. We talked about nautical things before. This one gets me because I, I kept thinking, okay, I kept thinking about the original photograph, you know, the photo that we know, you know, the one that all of us have seen. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I know this is the 1920s, right? But man, you look at especially um, like professional photographers at the time because to have that kind of gear you need to be a you know professional photographer or have some reason to have that kind of gear right photography was not a cheap hobby back then but the photos are so crispy they're so clear looking and i thought okay maybe this was just a professional uh photography thing maybe this was just the old boys who did this for a living you know that had the disposable income to really do this, the, you know, Zizla Bazinski's of the world, which I know he wasn't around back then, but comparison. <laughs> so I started looking at um, photography that was available to businesses like these, places that needed cameras but weren't out there taking photographs for artistic purposes. And I found something weird. Their cameras looked even better. <laughs> they, uh, back in the 20s, man, there was... These cameras were awesome. <clears throat> There's, you know what I mean? It, it's, it was past the point of experimentation. The camera is not a really complicated thing. I mean, it's, they figured it out. This is a camera. This is how it works. Yeah, we got DSLRs and stuff like that now, but how much really can you improve on, on the base camera? It's a simple mechanism. It's a simple device. And the photos that were taken back then, a lot of them were so crispy. They're so clear. Not all of them. You see your grainy pieces of shit like everything else, you know. But what I'm getting at here 
is that the cameras that existed at the time were capable of making some really damn good looking photos. And this picture always bugged me because I was like, man, this thing is blurry. It's grainy. It looks like shit. And I know that cameras back then were capable of taking way better photos. I know it's on a ship and things are rocky shit. It was probably raining. There's, you know, waves crashing all around you and stuff. There's probably water getting onto the lens. But there's no way this photo is going to be that bad. This looks like a photo from the 1800s. I was like, no, there's no way that this photo looks this bad. I was like, so I started thinking this picture looks like it was cropped out of a bigger picture. And as I started doing my research, sure as balls, I was right. Now, this is something that they, that you don't really find out unless you do some major digging. This isn't the original picture, how it looked. This was a large photo. It was taken from the bow of the ship. Look at bow, back of the ship. I was in the Navy and I don't remember this. Yeah, <clears throat> I did forget the parts of the ship. So excuse me. And yes, I was in the Navy. Maybe I'm just getting old. But it was taken from the rear of the ship <laughs> looking to the front. This was a big photo. This was a long photo, almost panoramic. And then you see in between these two, uh, what are they called? You know, the tuba-like structures on the ship are the faces. But you really get a sense of how big these faces were when you see the actual photograph. And that is the thing that really kind of made me question the skeptics a lot. We know that this photo was not edited it was not double exposed. It was not doctored. There was not something placed into the scene because the original photo had no fucking arrows. So not to cover up any seams or if they had some kind of cardboard cut out, you know, or what have you. There's a lot of things here that do not add up. Skeptics. Debunkers. Now, I'm not just calling you out just to call you out. <laughs> I'm saying that there are things that just don't jive, boy. They just don't jive. First of all, this is a huge photo. As I said, almost panoramic. And that's where you get the sense of, uh, sorry for any extraneous sounds that you hear. <laughs> There's four people living in a, you know, uh, in, a, in an apartment. So, like I said, I want to be an example for people. You can podcast. I don't care what's going on. I don't care what's going on around you. Who lives at your house? How many people are there? You want to podcast, podcast. But then, you know, I'm going to try to mix these other sounds out as best as I can. <laughs> I'm a family man, all right? I'm not going to tell everybody to be quiet be for an episode of Strange Places. So if you hear any sounds, there you go. <laughs> but, you know, don't let anything stop you from podcasting. Don't let it, don't, don't do it. There's ways to mix stuff out. But if you hear a kitty going, Wee! at the freaking door, he wants to come in, I guess. <laughs> I guess he wants to listen to the show, too. So let's get back to it. Because <clears throat> I was really getting to the meat of it. These faces are huge. They are massive. Don't you think that if you were faking a ghost photo that you would make the proportions correct? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's just That just goes without saying. If I am to fake a ghost photo, I'm not going to make the ghost as big as a damn blimp. I'm not going to make it as big as... And, and this is not an exaggeration. These faces are about as... I would say about as... Uh, let's see, we'll, we'll take it into size consideration. 
both of these faces together, if you took the end of one and measured it to the end of the other one, it's about the size of a damn Volkswagen. I would, if I were to fake a ghost photo, I would make the proportions correct. It makes it believable, doesn't it? It gives you credibility. If you make them huge, like four or five times the size, people call bullshit instantly, right? So either whoever faked this, if they did, they either don't know much about human nature or they're the worst hoaxers on the planet. <laughs> but considering that they're the worst hoaxers on the planet, don't you think that whoever analyzed this photo would have found evidence of fakery if they sucked that bad? Yeah? I have no preconceived things here. I have no prejudices. I had no anything in my head, right? We're looking at the evidence as it is. As it is. Common sense does not go hand in hand with paranormal research anymore. That's why we're here, boy. The, these faces are huge. They're massive. And when you see the actual photo, the, not, not the little cropped one with the arrows that we all see, there's just something that bugged me about it. It's too fuzzy. It's too grainy. I know that photo that, that cameras were capable of way sharper images back in the 20s. I was right. Now, I don't claim 100% finding this original photo. There are people that have. But uh, I got this idea independently. I didn't know. And some people did find the original photo. They did the work for me. It was a bitch to find. It's almost like it's on purpose. <laughs> it was a bitch to find. Because this, the cropped image, it, it, it's, I don't think it's for any nefarious purpose. The cropped image is so famous at this point, right? It's probably, aside from the brown lady, that this is the most famous paranormal photograph probably ever. It, I think that that's the only reason, is that the cropped image is so famous. But when you look at the actual original uncropped photo, no fucking arrows, no cropped stuff, no zooms, you really get a sense of just how weird this picture is. And then things start kind of lighting up in your head. Why are the proportions wrong? If you were faking this, wouldn't you want this thing to look as legit as possible? Right? It's like if I'm, uh, if I'm out fishing somewhere at Land Between the Lakes or whatever, and I see a real, legit Bigfoot, but he's wearing a pair of Nike shoes, you know, that he stole off of, well, Shaquille O'Neal <laughs> or something. But it's a legit Bigfoot. It's real. And I snap the photo. There you go. <laughs> People are going to call bullshit, right? So if I were to fake a, a Bigfoot picture, you know, why would I put Nike shoes on him? I know I'm talking round and round here. And I probably just completely fell flat on my explanation because that sounded weird in my head. But hopefully you guys know where I'm getting at. If I want to fake a Bigfoot photo, why would I put Nike shoes on him, right? These faces, I just can't get over how big they are. They're massive. They're huge. There was no evidence of tampering at all, so that excludes cardboard cutout. This is not pareidolia. If you look at the zoomed-in photo, yeah, it can be construed that it's pareidolia. Bullshit. I think even if you look at the cropped photo, there is no way that this is pareidolia. Because if you look at the flow of the water, if you look at the shadows reflecting on the water, there's, 
water can't, yeah, unless there's a fucking whirlpool, water is not going to travel in a thousand different directions. It's flowing one way. You know what I mean? And the shadows on the faces and stuff like that, they're in completely different directions of where they should be. They could be reflections on the ship, but the right, the face on the right in particular, there is something so three-dimensional about it. It's three-dimensional. This is not a shadow. This is not a projection. You can see the curvature of the face. But it's that photo, the original photo that gets me. Don't look at the cropped one. Look at the OG. The picture of the entire ship standing standing at the back of the ship looking towards the front. I, I can't get around that. I cannot get around that. Can I examine photos? Am I Kodak? No. I'm not a specialist at this kind of stuff. I cannot examine a photo and say, oh, this thing is real. This thing was tampered with. I don't have that kind of gear. And there's a lot of Photoshop heroes out there that think they can't. No, there's a lot that goes into analyzing photos. A lot. And you can't just up the contrast or apply filters to it or emboss it, you know, to find any kind of seams or whatever. No, I mean, I'm sure that photo analyses, uh, you know, companies like that do this. But that's probably where the fucking analysis starts. <laughs> you know, there's a lot that goes into it. I'm an old cat, right? I'm not old, but I'm old enough. <laughs> old enough to where I used to, I was in a photography course in high school. And uh, that was not digital photography. That was film. The school had a dark room. And I, I know how to, I've done it so many times. I know how to develop film. So I'm not, I'm, that, I'm not saying that makes me an expert. I'm just saying I know what goes into developing film. I know what to look for on these film-based photos to look for, in my limited knowledge, fakery. I don't see shit. I see no fakery, boy. Nothing. And this was examined. Like I said, I'm not an expert. Just in my opinion, I see nothing. Based on the experts, I don't even need my opinion, do I? No evidence of fakery at all. Uh, I was racking my brain. I'm serious, guys. Racking my brain trying to figure out something that screams debunked on this photo to me. And every time I thought I had something, I find something else that completely says, nope, no debunk here. Guys, I, I think this one is legit. I really do. I think this one is proven, and which is kind of becoming a rarity on the show. <laughs> we debunk most of the stuff that, you know, we come across, or, you know, uh, results are inconclusive. I don't see incu inclu in wow, I can't, what is that word? Inclusive, inclusivity? That sounds weird. I don't see any inclusiveness, <laughs> or uh, <laughs> what is it? Um, inconclusiveness, inconclusivity? Okay, we'll just say I don't see any inconclusiveness <laughs> in this photo. I don't see it. I'm looking at the sister ship. The same amount of those tuba-like structures on the sister ship. I don't know how this guy examined the other photo and said, nope, this thing is debunked. What conclusion did he come to? I mean, uh, this is what I'm looking at. What was his basis for debunking this thing? What did he say? The size of the heads would have been far more notable in their resemblance to a pair of dead shipmates. I disagree. I completely disagree. I think both things were notable. 
I mean, God, you bury two of your friends, two of your buddies. You, you bury two of your buddies at sea, right? You commit them to the ocean. A few days later, you see their faces in the ocean. Do you really give a shit how big they are? No. The first thing that you're going to notice is, hey, uh, my buddy's faces are being projected onto the Pacific, and they're following us around, and every time we encounter a big wave or a squall, it starts going the other direction. When we follow it, we don't end up being sucked in by a squall or a, a giant wave. This is very, very well-documented case. And I think that this is a, a strong case for why we should document these things like, you know, any policeman or detective would. Because look what well-documented cases can do. They can debunk things in a second, or they can get me to where I'm just sitting here scratching my head. I have no idea <laughs> how this photograph could have been faked. It's been analyzed recently. <clears throat> they still can't find evidence of fakery. Come on, guys. We, we got to quit beating our heads against the wall. When are we going to get to the point where we say... This photo was not faked. Whatever is in that photo is in there. Okay? We can establish that. Can we say that, please, finally? <laughs> it's been analyzed enough, right? And every time, every time, no evidence of fakery. So let's just quit the BS and say, okay, whatever's in this photo was there when it was taken. Cool. We've established that. Let's look at the faces. <clears throat> Can you prove beyond a reasonable doubt that there are ghosts in this photo? I think I can, honestly. If I were to, I, I can't, I don't even, like, I don't even have to use that explanation. If I were to fake a ghost photo and make their faces, you know, five, six, ten times bigger than they should be, I don't even need to use that explanation, even though it's a good one. And I can use it to help, you know, verify the authenticity of an, an actual ghost. Why would you fake something so out of proportion? I don't even need to use that argument. Why? Because there's no evidence of fakery. <laughs> so what's our other explanation that we're left with? What else do we have to debunk this thing? Pareidolia, right? Look at the damn photo. Not the cropped one. Look at the whole photo. The shadows of these faces completely disrupt the flow of the water. Could it be reflections? Yeah. But look at the face on the right. Guys, I'm telling you, this thing is three-dimensional. It's three-dimensional. Don't look at the crop photo. Look at the real deal, the actual picture. I tried, guys. <laughs> I really did. I really tried. You got to look at both. I wasn't trying to, I didn't, like I said, I didn't set out to debunk this thing. I set out to see everybody's side right? Use some damn common sense, which is never used in the store in the study of the paranormal anymore. Look at things as they are and arrive to a conclusion. Debunked merits more study inconclusive or legitimate. As I sit here, guys, this is a photograph of two ghosts. This is real. Uh, you might have your opinions, you might arrive at a different thing. Let me know. Study this photo on your own. Look at the facts. Look at the documentation. If I missed something, one crucial piece of evidence that could have blown this whole thing up, let me know. Contact me. But uh, 
man, I did my homework on this one. <laughs> I tried. I really did. And every time I found something that uh, screamed debunk at me, something else popped up that said, oh, hey, hey, no, 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 never mind. <laughs> uh, as I sit here, this is a photograph of two men who had died and were keeping tabs on their ship after the fact. This is a photo of two ghosts. And it scares the shit out of me. <laughs> Crazy. So what do you guys think? Like I said, did I miss one crucial piece of evidence? Am I overlooking something? Did you and your, uh, you know, paranormal gumshoeiness, did you notice something that I didn't? Let me know. And we'll re-examine this thing. Maybe we'll do a part two if you see something I didn't. Or arrive at a conclusion to where I'm scratching my head saying, okay, well, this, yeah, maybe this could be debunked. Let's look into this further. We'll make a part two. Anyway, guys, that is all we have for this episode, so make sure to go on Asylum817.com. That's Asylum817.com for all things Strange Places related. All the social media links are there, as well as a link to get to our Patreon account, where you can get early access to shows, bonus things, giveaways at certain tiers, little as a dollar a month, man. It really helps. Shout out to the patrons who do help, by the way. The Kunkel Homestead YouTube channel, Donald Haynes, David Peterson, the Curtis Rose Show YouTube channel, the Real Queer YouTube channel. I really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for making this thing go. It exists because of you. Uh, you know, podcasting. I'm using, uh, you know, I'm using machines here, right? Cables stop working. Mixers stop working. <laughs> Microphones, things fizzle out. Things work one day and the next day they don't. Software needs to be updated. Uh, gear needs to be updated. And you guys are always there. That Patreon, the, the, it's always there. Whenever this podcast needs something, you guys keep it going. You really do. You might think that your $1 here, $5 there, whatever does nothing, but trust me, it really does. So thank you. And uh, if you are one of those that likes to go to the horse's mouth, go to patreon.com slash asylum817. That's patreon.com slash asylum817. And yeah, that is all we got. So thank you for listening. And yeah, I'll catch you guys on the next one. Are we ever going to run out of strange places to talk about? Or strange ships, for that matter. I don't think so. Because every town has a strange place. And maybe one day, we'll visit yours. The Strange Places podcast is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a music label for truly independent artists. They will distribute and share your music on every streaming platform the internet has to offer. And the best part is that you keep all of your royalties. In fact, DistroKid has made history, marking the first time that an artist on the charts made 100% of their earnings. This is the music industry's worst nightmare, giving indie artists complete control over their art. For only 20 bucks a year, you can upload unlimited music, and with the split feature, you can split a percentage of the earnings to your bandmates. If you click the affiliate link in this episode's description, you get 7% off the first year. But did I mention that after that, it's only 20 bucks a freaking year? I've been a musician for a long time. My music is heard all over the world, and yours should be too. Click the link in this episode's description to not only support strange places, but put control of your own music back into your hands. No contracts, no hidden clauses, 
no lovely coin men in their lovely, lovely suits. Thanks to DistroKid for being a sponsor and giving this old dog an audience.